You know, we, the lifestyle medicine physicians, like to see all the health behaviors are preventive, but also as a way to manage disease. And, and also sometimes in a way to reverse disease. So we, we, we looked on health behaviors in uh, many aspects through the lifespan of individuals. So we, we, we looked on, on, on food as medicine, not only as a way to prevent disease, but also in a way to better manage disease and maybe to reverse disease. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Ronnie Pollack, who is the founding director of the Culinary Healthcare Education Fundamentals, also known as CHEF, coaching at the Institution of Lifestyle Medicine at Harvard Medical School. His current work is concentrated on culinary coaching, an innovative telemedicine approach which utilizes evidence-based medicine to help individuals and professionals to efficiently and cost-effectively improve nutrition through home cooking. In this episode, you will learn the art and science of using food as medicine and how doctors are prescribing home cooking and lifestyle changes to prevent, treat, and manage disease. If you're interested in learning more about this program at Harvard Medical School, stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn about the program and how to enroll. Hippocrates, known as the Greek founder of Western medicine, once said, let food be thy medicine. So stay tuned and listen on. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Hello, friends. I'm here with a special guest, Dr. Ronnie Pollack, who I met several years ago at a conference that focused on lifestyle medicine. And today I'm so happy to reconnect with Dr. Pollock because right now I'm having trouble prepping meals, trying to eat healthy, especially during this coronavirus pandemic. I was just thinking many of my listeners out there like you are probably experiencing the same thing, like these questions. So I decided to contact him and I'm so grateful that he has the time to be here with us to share these tips, how we can be healthy and build up a strong immune system during this coronavirus pandemic. So Dr. Pollock, how are you doing? Uh, hi, thank you for inviting me. Um, actually, I'm, I'm well, you know, as far as, <laughs> as far as you can feel well these times. Um, I'm now in Tel Aviv with my, uh, with my family and we try to stay at home as much as possible. We try to cook a lot. This is a great, a great opportunity for, for home cooking. Stay together. We are working on our relationship. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting time. How are the people in Israel dealing with this? I'm just curious, like here in the U.S., we're all staying at home. Businesses are closed. Schools are closed. So Everyone is, you know, tucked away inside. How is it there? Yeah, uh, same here. Schools are closed. Uh, university are closed. All the working places and uh, are closed. But in places such as hospitals, people are mostly stay at home. Stay at home, talking through the Zoom and uh, eating a lot. <laughs> and which brings to our topic today is eating. Like how to eat healthy during this time and not to over-snack, um, whether uh-huh. it's because it's available or you're doing it just to stress. And so I really thank you for you being here with us, sharing us tips. So maybe you can share about your career path. Like how did you get into lifestyle medicine? What is lifestyle medicine for our listeners out there? So I, I see I learned medicine in Israel, which followed the um, uh, European system. It's like a six-year medical school. 
So uh, I left medical school after, in the middle of uh, my fourth year. I was trying to find some more creative field to be engaged in. And I went to become a chef. And, and then during my culinary training, I was kind of understand, understood the connection between, between food and health and cooking and health. And then, and then I decided to apply back to medical school and to complete my medical training and to become a physician focused on lifestyle medicine. So, so that's, that, that was my field kind of a decade ago. Wow, I love the, the principles of lifestyle medicine because it really aligns with public health. It's all about prevention, uh-huh. right? About uh-huh. food, exercise, stress management, uh-huh. and uh-huh. you know, lifestyle medicine is a great way to have physicians be more involved in our public health officials, which working in public health, we're focused on like these principles, but at a population level, at a community level, like we develop uh-huh, these programs. Uh-huh. And oftentimes like we don't really see the individual people benefiting from it because it's these policies that we make or program. But whereas you as doctors, like you are implementing these same principles, but at a localized level, like to an individual patient. So it's great that, you know, I can see that this is like two sides of the same coin, right? Which is like, there's the public health, which is doing the community level. And then there's the doctors who are practicing lifestyle medicine at an individual level. So that's great to hear. There's that saying, Dr. Pollock, that food as medicine, how might we use food as our source for a healthier, happier, longer life? Huh. So, you know, I, I, was, I was hearing your question and, and you use the term uh, preventive medicine as, as one of the, um, you know, key principles of public health. And, you know, we, the lifestyle medicine physicians, like to see all the health behaviors are preventive, but also as a way to manage disease. And, and also sometimes in a way to reverse disease. So we, we, we looked on health behaviors in uh, many aspects through the lifespan of individuals. You know, first to prevent, and if someone has a disease, we might help them to better manage the disease. Just think about someone with diabetes who eats well, he might better control his uh, blood sugar, he might better control his weight, and sometimes they can even reverse the diabetes. So we, we, we looked on, on, on food as medicine, not only as a way to prevent disease, but also in a way to better manage disease and maybe to reverse disease. That's great. I love these non-pharmaceutical approaches. I mean, I think in our society, sometimes people like just pop a pill and fix it. But uh-huh. food is much more natural and long lasting. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. How, I guess, I guess, how can we encourage people to think of food differently as opposed to just, it's just to fill me up, you know, when I'm feeling hungry, but food is as a, as a vital natural medicine for our health that mother nature provided for us. It's really important to uh, improve the knowledge of uh, clinicians and uh, preventive medicine people about the importance of food. Because, you know, as, as much as the public is hearing that food is important, that food is medicine, you know, they might start thinking, well, maybe I should rethink about food. Maybe I should consider also the health benefit of what I'm eating. So, you know, I think that um, your audience and, and you know, the, the, the people who listen to this podcast might have a very important role in, in helping their customers or their patients or their colleague to know that food is very important and food can improve health. 
I do, I do believe in that. And that, you know, there's so much in food that is nutritious and it's not even just the food. It's like how are we thinking about the food and, and when we're eating it and how we think about the food in our bodies. So uh-huh. I was wondering, you know, you had mentioned that like, in your medical training, you took that time off to get trained to be a chef uh-huh. and then come back to finish medical school. I was wondering in medical training, how would like a physician who didn't, let's say they didn't go take that year off to become a chef. Like how much of the medical training includes like food, nutrition, cooking? Because I was wondering, maybe physicians out there are interested in this concept, but they don't have the training because do most medical school provide this? Because I think it was just great. You decided to take that um, that path untaken and, and come back to pursue medical school with, you know, with this background. So, so that's, that's, that's a very important topic because we know that most of the medical schools don't provide the necessary nutrition education. Uh, we also know that during the past few years, there is a huge change in this area and, and more and more medical schools are starting to teach nutrition, are starting to teach culinary medicine, starting, starting to teach people, uh, starting, sorry, starting to teach medical students how to cook. And, and the importance uh, of home cooking to help. Now, also, there, there are many physicians out there who doesn't know. And therefore, you know, we, prov- uh, we and others providing conferences to improve the knowledge. And, and you know, we met in, in, in a conference a few, few years ago. And, and many physicians uh, comes to these conferences to, uh, to expand the knowledge about food and, and other lifestyle medicine domains, such as exercising, such as stress management, and, and, and more. That's great that, they're, that you're providing training to encourage um, providers to include this type of approach in their practice. And so that's great that you're providing the what. And I was wondering, maybe you could help provide the why, because if people can see the why, this is important. So maybe you can share a story of a patient whose life changed because they use food as medicine. Like, do you have some stories to share? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. You know, the story that I always like to share <laughs> is, is a story about patient that, that I had at Boston. I think it was maybe six or seven years ago. He was a healthcare professional. He was a physician. And back then, he was just diagnosed with uh, type 2 diabetes. He's a physician, and, and he knew that he needs to eat healthier. He knew that he needs to move more. And he came to us in order to help him um, to cook more at home. When we did the intake and when we interviewed him, he shared with, with me that one of his goals is to improve his lunches. And he shared with me that he usually, you know, spend time in the office and, and he have like, you know, 20 minutes lunch break and, and he, he goes out and, and buy like a huge sandwich and eat it quickly and go, <laughs> and, and go back to his office to, to continue see patients and, 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 and to continue work on files. Actually, you know, he didn't, he has a, as we called like a baby step. He didn't want to have a salad. He didn't want, you know, to have more vegetables. He just wanted to make his own sandwiches that that was like his first goal instead of buying like a huge sandwich just bring uh, a nice sandwich from home and when I asked him if he feel confident to make his own sandwiches he said yeah sure I'm 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 confident to make delicious sandwiches I'm I'm, I, I have time to make sandwiches in the morning 
but I don't have time to buy fresh bread every morning. And then I ask him, well, um, do you know that you can buy bread once a week, freeze it and defrost a few slices every morning? And then he was kind of like shocked. He told me, what? Can you freeze and defrost bread? This is amazing. And, and, <laughs> and then, and then he, he started to, to buy bread and to make his own sandwiches. You know, I'm, I'm, this is not the first time that I'm sharing this story. And, and, and it's still shocking to me, you know, the, the, the huge gap between, you know, what we as healthcare professionals hope our patients to do to the skills patients have. You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, making like, I don't know, like vegetable stews and cooking lentils and legumes, you know, just freeze and defrosting bread. And, and you know, and people don't know how to do it and, and don't know that it's even possible, you know. And, and then he started to make his own sandwiches and, and then he had more goals and he improved his, he improved his nutrition and he, he lost weight. He, um, he better controlled his type 2 diabetes. He he did really, really great job and, and, and dramatically improved his health. That's such a wonderful story to share. <laughs> it's actually kind of comforting to know that for an example where, you know, a physician who has the knowledge, has such expertise in medical training and provide medical care for patients, and that sometimes they themselves need that type of medical care themselves, is taking better care of themselves, regardless if you had training or not. And that some of these tips are things that if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, basically, right? And then now that he knows that he can um, freeze bread and that he can make sandwiches that he can make himself probably like and can actually manage the ingredients so it's not too much mayonnaise, like mayonnaise or too much of the other ingredients, they can be healthier sandwiches. So, and then he could feel more empowered to control his diabetes. Physicians as a population are very bad in self-care. Very, very bad mm-hmm. in self-care. You know, we, we like to care others and forgot about ourselves. Well, why is that, Dr. Pollack? Is it because of the way you are trained that um, you see patients first? Is that why or why I is think, that? Uh, I don't, you know, there, there are many potential uh, explanations to that. And, and the explanation that, that, that you shared is, is just one of them. Um, that the, the, the training of, of, of physicians always puts patient in the center, which is, you know, which is good. You know, we, uh, we, need, we need to care to our patients. But I think that a physician that takes care of himself um, provides better care to their patients. And, and, and you, you can even look on physician self-care from the angle of patient, because if, if I will be healthy and feel good about myself, and if, if I will sleep well um, at night, uh, I will probably provide better care for, uh, to my patients. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't want to have a grumpy doctor who <laughs> didn't <I> sleep well. <laughs> so yeah, I think it also benefits the patients a lot <laughs> knowing that. But yeah, I think that's so true. And, and I was wondering, do you think it's also because it's just the, just the profession itself that it can be a very stressful job? And so and then maybe that you know, when they go home, the only thing they could think about is I want a snack because food, you know, is medicine, but food can sometimes be uh, or some type of release or some type of stress relief. So what do you think about that? Is it because that it's such a stressful job that's an easy fix is by snacking on things or just, you know, eating quickly? I'm just wondering what you think. Since you you know you have colleagues in this field, yeah. So 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 you know I I I, I definitely think that that being a physician is a is a stressful job, um, 
I also think that uh, we physicians make it more stressful <laughs> than than it than than it's you know you know if I can think of myself you know I'm 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 a physician I provide uh, care to patients I also do research I choose to do research uh, I also do medical education I I, I chose to do to prov- to offer medical education so you know we we take so many responsibilities um, that and and that that makes life um, stressful <laughs> and, and and I think you know I think that um, when when life is stressful is more difficult to take care uh, of ourselves no, not not only for from the food perspective, you know, uh, it's it's um, it's hard to do exercise because you know we cannot ta- we cannot find time to do exercise, uh, and and when we arrive home late at night without a lot of energy, so uh, as as you said, we snack, but we also don't go to uh, for a walk, and and uh, you know this is this is like uh, I think um, a multi dimension issue, and you know as um, we work a lot with. Um, with health healthcare professionals and 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 one of the tips that we try to provide them is to try to incorporate the exercising and and the cooking and and the meal preparation into their daily life for example again i can i can talk about myself so uh, you know i i don't have time to go f- uh, to go to the gym i just and therefore i um, uh, i was thinking well so how can i incorporate more exercising into my into my life and then i decided to start cycling to work and i'm cycling like every day to work and you know um like 90 minutes of exercise daily uh, let's say five days a week and and you know that's that's pretty good and you know the same with food uh, you know I, I i don't have time to cook every day i just don't have time to cook every day and and i really really like my food to be home cooked <laughs> i use a lot batch cooking cook uh, legumes uh, during the weekend and then I freeze them and I use them in various ways you know one day I'm using I'm, I'm making a lentil salad and the other day I'm doing like a hummus or whatever really focusing on living healthy uh, in a way that will not consume too much time of my life <laughs> oh that's very helpful tips and that we can Uh, make time to do these different practices in our busy lives. And that brings me to my next question for you is that, you know, now that we almost have too much time because we're almost, (laughs) because we're all staying at home during the coronavirus pandemic. And so like, what's the best thing we can, which is the best, the best thing we can do for ourselves right now while staying at home is to keep our bodies, our mind and our spirit healthy. So Dr. Pollack, you know, what are some tips that you can share on healthy cooking with our audience? And like, for example, like, are there certain types of food, especially to okay. get the vitamins that we need to eat regularly and any tips to make cooking and meal preparation easy? Because I know that you just shared your story that, you know, in, in your busy life, you know, you you pivot uh, in different ways <laughs> to incorporate exercise and incorporate meals and types of food. Like you said, lentils and you, and you do the batching. So maybe you can elaborate on these different types of tips for us. Sure. So, you know, when you think about healthy cooking, so, so I, think, I think you should keep two things in mind. First is what you cook <laughs> and, and, and then how you cook it. If you, if you think about 
what to cook. So, so there are, you know, many diets who are uh, that considered healthy. You know, the, there is the Mediterranean diet that many people like to follow. Um, many people these days are vegan. There are people who start following paleo and, and all these kind of um, new diets. And, and, and I think that what's common to all this diet and, and what we know that is really healthy is, is plant-based food. You know, and, 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 and if you think, for example, about the Mediterranean diet and the vegan diet, which I think are the most popular diets among people who try to eat healthy, although the, the arguments about which one is preferred is huge, they're more or less the same, you know, but the, you know, the, the fish that you eat and, and maybe daily or, few, or, or three times a week and, and the beef that you might eat once every few weeks, the majority of the diet is plant-based food both the vegan and the Mediterranean, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, lentils. I think, tho- uh, I think those food items should be like the, the basic uh, of every diet that someone's follow if, if you want it to be healthy. If, if you move to how to cook it, you know, you can, I mean, I think, I think this is more, more flexible. I mean, you know, un- unless you fry stuff, most of the cooking techniques are considered healthy. I mean, you can you roast, you can eat fresh, you know, you can make salads, you can make stews, you can, you can do tons of great stuff from uh, plant-based food. You know, I, I, I think, uh, I, if, if I think about my friends and my, and, and my colleagues, so it's really interesting because, you know, you know, many of my friends wouldn't consider this time as time with plenty of time to cook because the kids are at home and, and the kids make them crazy and they, and they, and they feel ex- more exhausted in the evening compared to going to work. If you, um, if you want to, to, to decrease cooking time, um, so I think, and batch cooking is, is a very, it's kind of a um, mindset, uh, is whatever you want to cook, cook as much as you can, okay? You want to uh, make, let's say, you want to make pasta, okay? So, so, uh, so hopefully you will use a whole grain pasta, but, you know, either pasta you use, cook the whole batch. Uh, and, and then eat what you, what you want to eat, and then store the, uh, the leftovers uh, for future use. Uh, for example, if it's pasta, so you can use the pasta the day after to make different dish. I don't know, let's say you make tomato paste or, or, or tomato sauce. Make four portions of the tomato sauce. Uh, tomato sauce can be freezed easily and, and defrost easily. So, you know, you freeze the tomato sauce uh, in small containers or even in ice cube container, and then, and then defrost the, the other portions, you know, whenever you don't have time to, to cook. So, so, so batch cooking is, is really important, and, and, and I think it's more a mindset than a skill. You know, uh, just, you know, when you decide that you have the energy to cook something, <laughs> think uh, if you can cook more of the same ingredient that you plan to cook. That's a really helpful idea is the batch cooking like you were saying how or basically batching um to help with the cooking and so that mm-hmm. you actually save time instead of having to boil the pasta for like, uh-huh. oh, 10 to 15 minutes um, you save that 10 to 15 minutes and it may not seem a lot but you know 10 to 15 minutes times five you know if you have to cook pasta every day that's like almost an extra hour that you can give yourself so it's like very cost effective you know for, for me for example it, it also helped me with decisions 
because you know when i when i came back home like 6 p.m and and think okay what will i cook for dinner if i know that i have cooked pasta it's kind of direct my mindset okay i have pasta so now let's think only about a sauce so i'm thinking about a sauce boom i have a dinner i, I mean i don't need to think from scratch what what to cook for dinner Oh, that's good. I never think about that. It plants a seed of, uh-huh, of a process. Oh, that's uh-huh, nice. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, like you said, that the other doctor who was able to make the changes who had diabetes, you know, uh-huh. he didn't want to drastically change his life, but you guys went baby steps. I think for listeners out there, you could think of batching as like, think of it as baby steps. You don't have to batch everything at once now, but you know, what are common things that you um, commonly eat every day and see if you can save time that way. And then, and then, and like you say, like modifying different recipes, like tomato sauce, right? You can have a lot of different um, types of meals with based on tomato sauce, you know, like spicy sauce, tomato sauce, mm-hmm. maybe add some vegetables or beef or something like that. Mm-hmm. But oh, mm-hmm. those are great. Really appreciate these tips. You know, right now, many people actually have lost their jobs and, you know, and getting fresh food is becoming less available um, because like maybe economically, you know, it's, um, people don't have jobs and don't have, have less money to buy that. And also, but the fact that people are buying everything off the shelves for food, <laughs> there's not much stuff left at the supermarket. So, you know, so this question, uh, I think maybe our listeners would, would, would really appreciate is like, what are alternative ways that they can still eat healthy and so that they can boost their immune system, especially given that there's limited resources. So for example, in this scenario, like what's the best way to spend $50 on groceries and what type of meals can they prepare? <laughs> given that we don't know what's available in the supermarket yet. Cooking. Yeah. $50 yes. cooking. So, yeah. um, for a week. <laughs> so, you know, first, you know, when you, when you shared that the fact that many people buy cans, I think as a rule of thumb, Usually frozen food is healthier than canned food. Say if I would like to buy corn, okay? So I, I, I will prefer frozen corn to canned corn. If I would like to buy beans, I would, pre- I would prefer frozen beans to canned beans. But usually frozen food, 100% food without added salt and without added sugar and, and, and without preservative, usually. And, and, and cans are not always like this. So I know that the, the, the room in the freezer is more limited than the room in, in the pantry. <laughs> but, 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 but still, another way to do shopping is to try to first fill the freezer and then, and then the pantry if, if, if you need more food. <laughs> so that's kind of, I think, one way to improve shopping. You asked about healthy uh, ingredients, uh, sorry, uh, cheap ingredients. So, so I think that um, usually... Legumes are, are, are relatively cheap compared to beef and compared to fish and, and, and if even compared to chicken. So, so, you know, so moving to plant-based protein might even decrease your, uh, your expenses. So, so I, think, I think that would be one approach to try to save on, on, um, on shopping. Um, second approach to save on, on shopping is, is move to uh, whole grains. And again, like whole grains usually are more expensive than, than, uh, than white grains, but they, they will be still cheaper than, than, and, and than vegetables and, and fruits, and, and, and you can buy them and store them in the pantry for how long you want. So I think that, I think that lentils, legumes, whole grains should, might do the work. Wow, those are helpful tips. And freezing vegetables or buying frozen vegetables are good. What about 
you know, when you buy vegetables and freeze and freeze them yourself, are there certain types of vegetables that work better frozen and some that don't? Yes, that's 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 a very important question. So so most of the vegetables can be freezed. Usually, and 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 again, we are talking about like dozens of of vegetables. <laughs> so it's, it's it's like really like and uh, talking like on on the broad aspect. But usually, if you if you cook the vegetable and then freeze it, the quality is better. For example, if you buy tomatoes and and you would like to make tomato sauce, okay. So so you know, make a big batch of tomato sauce and freeze the sauce. Easy. Is, is better than freezing tomatoes and then defrosting the tomatoes and try to make sauce out of them. If you want to, if you want, if you like broccoli and, and you like blanched broccoli, so, you know, you can buy a big batch of broccoli. So it's better first to blanch everything and to freeze like blanched broccoli than to freeze the broccoli and then defrost it and try to blanch it. So so any any process that you like to do with your vegetables is better to do when the vegetable is fresh and then and then to freeze. Oh, that's that such a sense? Help, that's a helpful tip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I tried freezing Brussels sprouts and then it didn't taste as good as fresh ones. So I think I would cook them first the way yeah. I would and then freeze them. Yeah, I think I think oh, that would work better. Okay. Yeah. I mean certain other ones like carrots, I think yeah, I can throw my carrots in the fridge and it, they seem to be okay compared to when I if I cook them fresh. But like I just when like some I noticed some produce don't work as well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. oh, all right. Well thank you for that really helpful tips. And I think people do appreciate knowing that, you know, they're you know, their wallets are shrinking. And so these tips are going to be very helpful. And another thing I think what people are doing now during this coronavirus uh-huh. pandemic is de-stressing by snacking. So what are I some know. help? <laughs> and I'm guilty of that too. So listeners, I, that's why that's why I brought Dr. Pollock here so that he can share with me how to make healthier snacks. What would you recommend? You know, it really depends what's what's considered snack for you. For, for example, uh, uh, because uh, you know, my first choice would be vegetables, and and you know, you could say, well, vegetables are not really a snack. <laughs> but uh, uh, one option would be to just have uh, chopped vegetables in your in your uh, fridge. Um, but for most most of us are looking for more like for more delicious stuff when 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 we snack many patients find like antipesto as as a very as a snacky thing uh so you know and and antipesto is something that that you can do from vegetable uh you know the uh the easiest way to do antipesto is to chop a, is to is to take a, ve- a, a veggie to cut it into let's say half inch cubes and roast it in the oven with salt pepper and olive oil and then um, you can let it cool down and store it in your fridge. And you know it's it's more it's more energizing than just raw vegetable. And it's still you know mostly vegetables and uh, low calorie, high fiber. Uh, and you can and you can snack it. And and you can make antipasto out of zucchinis, out of pumpkin, out of carrots, out of beet, uh, out of broccoli uh, you know from out of cauliflower almost almost any any veggie that you like uh are good for antipasto so that could be a, um an interesting an interesting um try also you know when we at home we we kind of losing our routines <laughs> 
And, and I think trying to maintain some kind of a routine of breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, might help in reducing um, the, 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 the desire for, for snacks. That's true, because now your whole day is just blend together in this uh-huh. one day. And maybe by keeping yourself accountable to, to your meals is by maintaining that, um, like there's, there's lunchtime, there's evening, uh-huh. and in between, uh-huh. like you might need that snack break. And, these, and thank you for sharing these healthy snacks that we could, we could change our mindset about what snacks are. They don't have to be chips, right? <laughs> <laughs> like potato chips, um, but they could be healthy snacks. And just thinking of that, maybe you're snacking because you're, you're just bored, right? And so sometimes you're, or you're trying to de-stress. Bored stressed yeah Mm -hmm. so maybe you can sit maybe sit with that feeling sit with that feeling that okay i'm stressed maybe i don't need a snack i could just maybe drink some water maybe just be with my thoughts and and that it is a stressful time for everyone so i think Mm -hmm. also acknowledge that it is okay to be stressed out right now and that we and then maybe you feel paralyzed you can't do anything because you can't go outside but actually you are doing something to society by staying inside and so it's it's basically helping people change their mindset and then changing your mindset about what snacks is that vegetables could be snacks too. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I really appreciate all these different tips that you shared with us today, the how and the why. The science, the scientist in me is going to ask you like, so what's the evidence behind all of this? Like what's the evidence that demonstrates the health benefits from home cooking, which you're suggesting that we should all do and not that we're all at home now, <laughs> we can do more of that. <laughs> but what is the science behind that, you know, as it relates to other um, health conditions that you know of? That's, that's a very good question. So, so the science beyond the, uh, the consumption of plant-based food is very solid. Uh, you know, uh, we know that, that consuming plant-based food, vegetables, fruits, legumes, whole grains um, are related to um, improve health, decrease the incidence of many diseases such as uh, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, um, cardiac, cardiac disease, uh, certain kind of cancers, and, and, and so on. Now, if you go more specific to home cooking versus um, um, buying out, so um, one way to look at home cooking is to understand that people who cook at home consume less Uh, processed food. Data on the health benefit of decreasing processed food is is one of the hot hot topics of nutrition these days. I mean, there are more and more studies that show uh, the health benefit of cooking from scratch versus uh, versus uh, consuming uh, ultra-processed ingredients. And um, there are also uh, a number of studies that try to look at the specific benefit of meals prepared at home. There are a few groups uh, that, that works on this topic. Rehab is, is, is one of the group. We show some preliminary benefits to weight, uh, preliminary benefits to diabetes control, and now we are in the process of completing a uh, multi-center randomized controlled trial that evaluates the, the educational impact of educating people to do more home cooking. And, and, and we hope to show our primary outcome is weight. And, and we hope to show improved weight and, and improved blood pressure, uh, lipid profile, uh, diabetes, um, sugar control, um, and so on. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear that there's the science behind supporting home cooking and that um, and that plant-based meals, you know, are 
not only an alternative, you know, for people to buy because if they can't afford uh, meat products, is that it's actually a good investment in your health. Oh, sure. sure. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's just there's so many um, reasons to do so. So, and I, I, listeners out there, I hope you're excited about all these different tips, and then you get that you can think about your kitchen as your own experiment lab of how to boost your own immunity for yourself and for your family during this time. So if our listeners want to learn more about cooking as a medical intervention, can you tell us more about your program that the one that I met you and I took like uh, participated in the chef program and maybe even share with like the story behind how you created this program and just and for listeners out there to consider like uh, putting on that chef hat and for providers <laughs> to consider um, giving recipes in addition to prescriptions as part of their doctor's visits. Sure. So uh, thank you for asking. We, um, we developed the chef coaching program, I think, uh, around six years ago. Before I developed the chef coaching program, I was mostly focused on hands-on cooking education in teaching kitchens, brought patients and healthcare professionals to teaching kitchens and, and uh, taught them how to improve their health uh, with home cooking. And then a few years ago, I thought, well, maybe the kitchens of individuals' houses can be their lab and, and maybe we can train people at their home. And then, and then we developed a, home, a remote home cooking program. And, and this, is, this is what we are doing for the past few years. Uh, we have three training programs per year, trained so far uh, 800 clinicians how to uh, incorporate home cooking into their personal life and how to help patients to uh, adopt home cooking. Uh, we are now working also with clinicians, but also with uh, public health experts. So, you know, we, we broaden our, our reach and, and, and you know, um, your audience might be a good fit to learn more about culinary medicine. We do research, we do medical education, and we usually implement our, our finding from the research to our medical educational uh, training. And if you, if you want to learn more, we have a website with, with, uh, with information about the, um, about the programs. And we also have a Facebook page and Twitter account that we share resources, we share recipes, we share tips, uh, we share a new manuscript that we published and, and colleague published. Um, so, you know, if you want to learn more, you, you're very welcome to. Uh, oh, thank you for sharing all that great information. And when I attended the chef coaching program, it was an in-person um, training as part of the lifestyle medicine um, conference. So it was like I got to um, do two things at once during that time, which is great. Um, and also for physicians out there, you can actually get continue continuing medical education credits for this, right? I imagine. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um Two out of the three training programs we offer per year is in conjunction with the Lifestyle Medicine Conference at Harvard Medical School. And uh, those who attend these trainings are eligible for uh, CME credits from Harvard. For physicians out there, you know, you get to um, fulfill your CME requirements for the year and also uh -huh. learn how to cook for yourself and, and also help your <laughs> patients too. So it's a, it's a personal and professional benefit. So maybe you can also just elaborate a little bit more about the program. So there's the in-person and there's the online program. So can the, can people now, let's say, because most people are staying at home, can they participate in the online training program? 
Our online training program is usually started in the fall. So, so next September, we, we will start our online program. And you can complete the whole training uh, online from the comfort of your um, chair. Uh, I, I, I hope that most of us will be out of our homes by September. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but uh, you're still uh, pretty much invited to uh, join the program. Can you just tell us more about the online program? Is it videos that they watch every day or is it a live session they have to attend during for a specific time? Oh, yeah. And, Thank you. And so, is there so, cooking or is there, I'm just curious, like what, um, what you teach in that program so our so, audience will be, get excited about this. <laughs> so, uh, so this is a live program. Uh, it's an 18-hour program. Uh, half of the hours are uh, skills-based classes. So you join a live class uh, on, uh, on home cooking, on how to empower patients to adopt home cooking behaviors. And the other, other nine hours is small group practice sessions. So you, you assign to a, a small group of eight participants and you practice uh, the content throughout the program. Practice both real cooking. Um, you, you will log in from your kitchen and the chef will log in from his kitchen and you will literally cook together. And uh, you will also practice how to empower patients or how to empower students to adopt home cooking. So it's a combination of personal care and your role as a clinician. Oh, that's wonderful. And is this training program also open to the public or is it mainly for physicians? So the program is for any healthcare professional. Uh, we have also credits for RDs. We have credits for health coaches. Uh, we have... In the past, uh, nurses and psychologists and social workers and public health experts and teachers and, and uh, almost everybody can find benefit from the program. Yeah, so what makes this unique than just a, a regular cooking class is that there's the component that um, of how to uh, disseminate information to your clients, to your patients, mm -hmm. or to your students. So I think that's what makes this cooking training program a little different is that you yourself learn to practice the science, but also how to disseminate the information. Because then, it, I mean, because it sounds like cooking class, but it's much more than that, because it's really about how to use cooking as a preventive treatment. And, and I like how you said that it can actually reverse um, uh -huh. health conditions. Yeah, so it's much more than than a, than a cooking program. is 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 a culinary medicine program that see you as as a clinician, as someone who would like to improve your own health and also deliver this message to patients. So listeners out there, definitely check out the chef program, and that you can empower yourself and um, the people around you. So, Dr. Pollack. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? So uh, please feel free to connect with us through our email, uh, chefcoaching at instituteoflifestylemedicine.org, or you can follow us on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter, or you can just send me an email um, directly to rpollack at partners.org. Thank you so very much, Dr. Pollack, for today. And I really appreciate you. all your tips. Yeah, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you for inviting me. It was, it was a pleasure. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so that we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.